Can we turn your attention this morning to John chapter 5, verses 1 to 16? Uh, we're going to release all the young people to YP's discipleship class. Stephen's taking them, so those 12 and 13-year-olds, you're welcome to go right now. Thank you very much. Of course, all our children are already out the back in Children's Church. Brilliant. So John chapter 5, I have it, I'll put it up on the screen, but please use your own Bible or uh, device to read. But let me, let's read just these verses. This is a story. The last several weeks, we've just been looking at Jesus' encounters with people and how when he encountered people, um, things changed uh, in their lives particularly. Circumstances, situations change. And here's one of those stories Jesus meets with um, in this situation. So let's look at John chapter 5, 1 to 16. It says, after, these, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem is in the uh, sorry. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida. It's got five porches, and then there lay a multitude of sick people, sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Things down. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made a well. Sorry, made well of it, whatever disease he had was made well. And now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and what? Walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that was that day was the Sabbath. We'll go over to the, we've gone on it, great. And the Jews therefore said to him, was cured, it is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, um, and he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up um, my bed and walk. And then they answered him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn himself, a multitude being in that place. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done those things on the Sabbath. This is a passage um, that, that we see this man has an incredible counter with Jesus. Can you appreciate 38 years means of paralysis means you can't move? 38 years, folks. Would you agree that's a good part of your life? Especially when the average age of a Jewish man was well below the 79 years that us Australian men live average. It's more like about 50 years in Jewish times. And so 38 years of those 50 average years that he was going to live meant that he was in pain or he's in paralysis of some type. And I, you know, that's even older than what, that's longer than when Jesus had been on the face of the earth. Jesus was in his probably early 30s, and this man had been paralyzed well before Jesus even was born. So you see, it's a long time. It's a long time. And you know, as we look at what is accomplished here, the truth is, is what is accomplished in a moment is amazing. And yet for 38 years, that man had obviously wanted to be healed. He wouldn't have been there at that sheep pool 
uh, waiting to be healed if he didn't want to be healed. The desire was there, but the reality is he hadn't achieved, he hadn't seen anything happen in 38 years. And yet now, in one instant, when Jesus speaks a word, he responds and bang, a miracle happens. Would that be a good day for you? That'd be a great day, wouldn't it? It was a good day for him. Great day for him. And notice... The thing that we need to see, there's more to this story than initially we read up here. There's a lot more to the story. I want to just bring some thoughts out because Jesus just, didn't, Jesus just didn't say rise up, but he told him to rise up and what? Walk. He told him to rise up. You know, there'd be no good Jesus saying, well, rise up. And you know, if the scripture had said that, we'd probably receive it and not think any more of it. But you know, who knows that you could rise up and it's no good just standing there thinking, well, this is it. No, you've got to move forward, haven't you? You've got to rise up. You've got to t- he had to take his bed and Jesus says, come on, get going. And it's interesting because the word walk means, means quite literally, it means to deport someone. Quite literally, if you translate it into another English thought, it's to means to deport. And if you know what deport means, it means, to, it means to expel someone from their own country. And Jesus is quite literally saying to this man when he said, rise up and walk, he's saying, get out of here and never come back geographically to this place again. He's saying, come on, get out of here and never... This is not the place you need to, have, to live. This is not the environment now for you because you're whole and healed go. And so if we were to, another word for um, walk means to live. And, and quite literally, it was not just a physical um, need this man had. If we look a little deeper, he also, he needed to have a mental attribute that this is not the environment for him to live. This is a new place he needed to go to. A new place. And as we see this man, he walks away and because now he could enter the temple and for 38 years, because of his ailment and paralysis, he was not allowed um, to enter the temple of temple worship, which was such a Jewish cultural thing to do, an important thing for every Jew to do. And yet he couldn't go into the temple. That's why Jesus found him in the temple afterwards, because now he was free to go. He was whole and healed. But before that, he couldn't accomplish that. And so he was excited about that. But the reality was, is that that man not only needed to know that his physical healing had taken place, but there was something quite um, needed to happen within his thought process, in his mental capacity. He needed to see himself no longer a cripple, no longer at that pearl, but in a new frame of mind. He needed to see that because that's what really the word live, the word walk has. It means not only physical, but it means the undoing of the mental anguish that people can experience as well. And, you know, who knows you can change your geography, but if you never change your heart, nothing really changes. You can change, you can shift churches even and say, well, but you know, if you never allow your heart to be changed, nothing really, you can change towns, but if nothing really changes in here, you'll still bring you with you. You all bring all the problems sometimes with us. And we've got to, we've got to realize that, that we've got to be careful. We're not caught up in old mindsets and attitudes that entrap us. And I've come to realize that sometimes physical healing is easier for people to receive than for people to change how they see themselves and how they see life. Sometimes physical, I love physical healing, but I also know there needs to come a heart attitude or a mental process of changing sometimes in how we think and how we do life. Would you agree? Because if you don't change here, we never really change. See, that's why Jesus says in verse 14, he says, when he found him in the temple, he says, see, you have been made well. He says, um, 
Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. What was the worst thing that could come upon him now? Back to being paralyzed again? No. According to what is said, because, because the word worst, quite literally, if you look it up, could be translated in another English terminology, meaning mental anguish. Jesus was saying here, um, you've you got to get rid of that thinking that would entrap you, not just in a physical paralysis, but a mental paralysis. You've got to get rid of it. He says, come on, something worse can happen. You're not going to go back. He says, the worst thing that could happen to you is that your mind goes back to that, that mindset that you're just a cripple or that you couldn't do it or you can't go anything or you can't accomplish anything. That would be a worse thing than even your physical need. Wow. And, you know, so this passage is as much about mental health as it is about physical well-being. Because who would agree in our society today, mental health is an enormous thing? Having a whole mind, having a whole thought. You know, you can have a whole mind and yet have some part of your body not functioning well and you can enjoy life to the max still because it all depends on your heart. Folks, our society today is struggling with people, is struggling with mental health issues. You don't have to look too far. Just go to your neighbours and see the people around you that struggle in their thought processes and their lives and the way they deal with life. Um, there's been people committed suicide with this last month. Young men in this city. We never hear about that and it doesn't need to be on the front page of our newspapers, but it's happening. So there's some mental anguishes. There's some hopelessness. There's some struggles in people's lives. And as we look at this passage, let me just share with you some things that... Um, I think Jesus wants addressed in this man's life as much as his physical need, his mental need as well. So yeah, let's me have a look. One of the first things I see, this man was waiting here. And whether he'd been waiting for 38 years, I'm not sure. Scripture doesn't give us the liberty of telling us that, but it just tells us he was in, he'd been paralyzed for 38. Whether he was by the pool, the sheep, that pool for 38 years, we don't know. But for a good time, maybe he's been by the pool. Let's just say he's been there 10 years. That's a long time. Maybe he's even been there just two years. That's still a long time to hang around a pool waiting to be healed. Would you agree? A long time. He's waiting for the moving of the water. The amazing, you know what? He's waiting for that amazing moment in his life when everything is going to be fixed. He's waiting for that big break in life that's going to change everything. He's waiting, he's just waiting for the silver bullet. If I said that, we'd understand. You know, the thing that fixes everything, the thing that just takes all the problems away. He's waiting for it and he's been waiting and he sees his hope in the stirring of the water. The problem is he can't get into the water quick enough and whatever was happening there at that time. He's, he's waiting for that amazing moment in life. I want to tell you there's really no silver bullet in life. Because life is very much about you getting up every day and doing the little things well and enjoying the decisions and the reward of the decisions, that good decisions that you make every day. Because, you know, sometimes if people are waiting for that big break, waiting for that thing to happen, they'll continue to wait. And if it doesn't happen, sometimes the, the thoughts of hopelessness creep in. We think, well, life's never going to change. I want to tell you, nothing in my life has ever changed like that, necessarily. It's always changed as I've continued every day to do the little things well. And then sometimes we think it's a sudden big change. But it's not really. It's because of all the so seed you've sown beforehand. Even healing this morning. We can think, oh, well, God's big moment in my life. No, no, no. 
It's as we continue sometimes to press through and press on. And let's just, you know, and this man, he was just always waiting for the stirring of the water. I want to tell you this, there's no silver bullet. It doesn't really exist. What does exist is our building our lives day by day, bit by bit, getting up and doing the important things in life and making good decisions and enjoying the rewards of that. Um, and I think Jesus wanted this man to know that. And there's a passage in Philippians. Paul wrote this wonderful passage in Philippians 3.13. He says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have been handed. In other words, I haven't got it all together. Even me, the super apostle, not that he said that. I haven't got it all together. But one thing I do, he says, if there's one thing I'm going to do, it's going to be this. Forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forward to those things which are ahead. In other words, I'm just going to every day reach forward to those things that lay ahead of me. I'm going to keep on moving forward. Jesus said, get up and walk. Paul continues to say to us through this letter to Philippi, he says, come on, reach forward to those things. Get up every day. Do what's important. Do what's important. Do the little things well. See, some people don't want to make the effort to do the important things every day. And, that, and what happens is if they don't, it adds up to a pretty miserable life. Um, they just sit on their hands and they wait for the water to stir. And you know what God says? The water, it's not about the stirring of the water. It's about getting up every day. There's a story that we all know. It's called the hare and the tortoise. And we all know the story because the hare was incredibly slow. No, sorry, the hare was incredibly quick. <laughs> Just checking whether you got the story right. The hare was incredibly quick. He had a great ability. He could run as fast as any animal in the forest. And yet the tortoise was incredibly cumbersome, awkward, and was very slow. And they challenged each other to a race. And, of course, the race was conducted and, of course, the tortoise won. The question has to be said, how in the world did the tortoise win when he was so slow and yet the hare was so quick? Now, you know you think you know the answer. (laughs) See, the hare had the ability to outrun the turtle on any day of the week and yet the turtle had no physical prowess of any kind and yet... He won. And the turtle, while slow and steady, didn't stop from doing the little things that were to get him to the end of the race. He knew it. It took step after step. And as he run this race, he just put one leg in front of the other. And just because he felt slow and cumbersome, there was no reason to stop putting one leg in front of the other. The hare, on the other hand, was all about running fast. And his very ability to run fast was the very thing that lost him the race. Because he thought, I can run so fast, I'll have a sleep in the middle of the race. What a sad thing to do. Because by the time that he, the hare had no concept, listen to this, no concept of persistence, he had no thoughts of doing what was necessary and keeping an eye on doing the everyday things of one leg after another. It was all about the moment and enjoying the moment with no consideration for the future. The hare was uh, unwise, to say the least. And of course, by the time the hare woke up from his slumber, He ran as fast as he could just to find himself watching the tortoise step over the line and win the race. Now, how great, while not having any ability, but having something more precious in life, and that is doing the little things well and consistently and persistently, often as the ones who win the race. Not the experts this morning, not the ones with incredible knowledge or incredible intelligence or amazing ability, but the power and the sheer determination to get up every day. And so I'm not waiting for the stirring of the water. I'm just going to get up every day and do what's important. 
How do you see yourself this morning? Are you the hare or the tortoise? It's sad to have the ability to win every race in life uh, and yet not have the staying power to keep going and doing that and winning every race in life. That's sad, isn't it? No determination. I think Jesus wanted this man to see that it's not about the stirring of the water, it's about the attitudes of the heart, getting up and doing what we need to do. You know, having continually to cultivate that relationship with God on a daily basis, just continuing to spend that time, uh, continuing just to read portions of his word every day, continuing, just the little things, little things that we've got to do that make such an important uh, change and, and um, such an important uh, necessary part of life. It's not waiting, folks, for the silver bullet, but it's just enjoying every day. You know, um, people, you know, I think that's why some people put their lotto in every week. If only I could win it, it'll change my life. And you and I know that 70% of the people who win gold lotto or whatever it may be within one year are poorer than they were when they originally, before they bought the ticket. Why is that? It's because the silver bullet doesn't change your life. It's an attitude within your mind that changes your life as you yield it to God and you give it to him and say, Father, help me just to be persistent, consistent, and do what you want me to do. Here's another thing about this whole story with this, um, this encounter this man had with Jesus. Jesus said to him, do you want to be well? Did you notice that? He says, do you want to be well? And the man answered, I have no one to put me in the pool when it is stirred. And you know what? Jesus wasn't asking him um, you know, why he hadn't been healed. He was asking him, do you want to be healed? And yet his response was that he created and rehearsed this excuse. You know, and he didn't answer the question Jesus asked him. He responded by saying, well, no one's there to put me in the pool. He was, the truth is he had an excuse. And it kind of gives us a little bit of insight, but maybe what he'd been doing for 38 years, creating and rehearsing excuses about why he wasn't whole. See, he'd been justifying and rationalizing why things have been the way they are. And you know what? We have to stop ourselves from creating and rehearsing excuses in life. We have to stop it because it'll stop you from progressing into your future and your destiny. Excuses are a logjam to life. That's what they are. And you know you can spend your time justifying and rationalizing the way things are or you can spend your time giving energy to thinking about and implementing how you want to continually see change and things develop in your life. I'd rather be spending time on that. And you, you, know, you can't be thinking about excuses while at the same time cultivating op, op, options of, um, of how you want to see things change. Is that true? You can't do both. You've got to give your mind to one thing. We've got to give your mind to one thing. And I think I'd rather be cultivating options of how God can intervene in my life or how I can see great things happen than thinking about all the excuses. And Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? And he says, well, I have this problem and I have this problem and I have this problem and, and, and this is the issue. And, you know, I, I, you know, and he, says the one, you know, he says, no, no, no. Do you just want to be made well? Isn't it interesting how Jesus, when he comes to us and asks us questions, or maybe as we read scripture, he's always saying something positive about our future, not taking us back to the past. He's saying, come on, do you want to be made well? I'm talking about your future. And this man says, well, no one is there to put me in the water. No, I'm not asking you why you're not well. I'm asking, do you want to be well? 
And I think God would ask us a question today, not so much even in the physical, but just a question, what kind of way do you look at your life? Do you always rationalize, excuse, and justify? Or we, do we, you know, because if we, if we continue to do that, excuse and rationalize our life, we'll never hear the question that even God says, asks us sometimes. We'll be so blanked out from that because we're always looking at why I'm like I am. I want to tell you, let's stop looking at why we are and just start to ask the question, how can I continue to move forward? So I think Jesus wanted to see this, this man and stop him from creating and rehearsing excuses. And he certainly helped him do that. I mean, he healed him. That was incredible. Here's another thing that I find interesting in this passage and this interaction between Jesus and this man. When Jesus said, um, do you want to be made well? It's almost like this man hears Jesus say, well, why aren't you well? And he becomes defensive in his response. Defensive. His answer is a re- defensive response. And it's interesting, isn't it? So when you're justifying your problems, you can make you react to the answers as if you've been questioned over why you aren't well. And you know, instead of putting out a hand and saying, well, I do want to be made well. I do want it. And, and you know, I've discovered that, that the defensive person will try to protect. Well, I've discovered that the defensive people, and I've done this, try to protect their pride. And you know, when we come to a moment in life, because life is a way of showing us the, the, the things about ourselves that we've got to deal with. Has anybody ever experienced that? We butt up against stuff. And, oh, you know, and in our heart, we know. That, that has to change in me. But we can step back from that and hang on to our pride and say, no, I'll be right. Or we can let go of it and say, well, yeah, I do really need to let that area change. I do need to have a checkup from the neck up. I do need to let something happen that's got to be different here. Because who knows the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same things and get the same results, and yet you want to change, but you never will because you're just doing the same things. So getting defensive... Like this man, it doesn't create opportunities. You know, the truth is I can, I can come to an understanding of, you know, if I was you know, in relationships that we have with one another, I've discovered that I can hang on to my pride or I can have good relationships. Sometimes I can't have both. Do you know what I mean? Let me just maybe drill down a bit more. With Michelle, I can have my pride or I can have a great marriage. It's the same with her. She can have a program. So when you differ with someone, when you have an opinion that's different, you can stand there and some of you know what I'm talking about as a husband or wife and you say, well, I'm not going to say sorry first. So you can have your pride or you can have a great marriage. What do you want? You're going to be defensive or have a great marriage? And with relationships with people, you can have your pride or you can have a relationship with those people. You know, I was thinking, you know, and so I've had to learn... I want a great marriage. So just yield, give up the attitude, stamp, get rid of your pride, stop getting so defensive, and just say sorry or communicate. Now, that'd be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> you, see, you see what pride does? It, it locks us away. It locks us away and, and stops us from growing and developing and walking forward in life. In actual fact, we just spin our wheels in life. We just, that's, what that man on the, that's what we become. We just spin our wheels. Running 
endlessly working overtime, doing great, you know, busy, 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 but never going anywhere in life because of the attitudes of our heart. Just defensive pride, locking up the pride. I've got a, I've got a friend who will be always my friend. But you know, I find that my time with him, you have to limit it, and he's not in this church. Okay. <laughs> Just in case you were thinking about that. And I have to limit my time with him because... Because that conversations just go nowhere. And yet I will be his friend till his dying day because he needs Jesus again. And I'll continue to be his friend. But when we have conversations, and I saw him not too long ago, and you know what? I just thought in my head, oh, buddy. Because we start to talk about things, and then he says, you know what? We need to do this, blah, 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 blah. And all he talks about is what he thinks should happen and how it should happen. And he's just so locked up in his own little world. And I think, no wonder you've gone through two wives. They didn't want to be a part of you anymore because you're just so locked up in your, I don't want to change, I'm going to do it my way. And I think, oh, Lord, help him. And he doesn't know how a good friend I am to him, I tell you. Because <laughs> a lot of people have given up on him. So what's it going to be? Your pride or a better life? So this man, I think, had to, you know, had to deal with that because you know, Jesus just asked him, you know, do you want to be made well? And his defensive reaction is, well, you know, no one's here to help me. Here's the, here's the, this leads into the next thought quickly here. Um, uh, I've, you know, when Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? He says, I have no one to put me into the water. You know, other people around this, these porches here have family members and, and, you know, they get in the water before me and, and I've got no one. Isn't it true when we're sad about something or, or we're upset about something or we're kind of offended about something, we always exaggerate. I've got no one to put me into the water. Surely he had a friend or someone. But he said, no one. Was, you know, all these other people, electric wheelchairs, they get in first. I don't know, Whatever. <laughs> You know, but he said, no one, nobody is here. He, he starts to blame everybody else. You know, let's not be people of a list of all the people who have failed to help them and everybody who has let them down. Let's not have that list. Let's not have the list. And if you find yourself talking about people who have failed to help you, then you'll know you're not making any progress. We're just spinning our wheels. If you're always talking about... Because you know what you do when you continually think about people who have failed to help you? Is you're actually letting them control your destiny. I've got my list. And we don't, we don't literally have a list. But sometimes in our heart and our mind, we, well, they didn't help me at that time. Well, they didn't. Folks, give it up. Give it up because this is what happens. I've handed over my destiny to someone else and they have more power to influence the direction of your life than you do or even God does. And that's not good. for God. You know, talking about people who have let us down is totally against, I believe, what God, how God wants us to live our lives. And people, you know, the, the, the question we have to ask, have people let us down? Absolutely. We could all file out of this building this morning and you could give me a list of at least couple people have let you down. We've all got them. We've all got them. Have they, of course, they have. people have promised much and delivered little. Is that true? Of course it has happened. Of course they have. But these people are not the one to set the course of your life. So stop giving them the ability to do that. Get rid of the list. Get rid of the list. 
Because this man says, no one is here to help me. It's, you know, as soon as Jesus asked the question, do you want to be made well? Didn't answer that question. He says, no one's here to put me in the water. I didn't ask you that. I asked you, do you want to be made well? Well, no one's here. I didn't ask you. When's he going to get it through his thick head? In the end, Jesus just healed him. Here's the last thought. So the number four was we have to give up complaining about other people if you're just wondering what that number four was. Number five is this. We have to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. If you want to move forward, if you want to walk in life, you've got to continually cultivate. And you know this, and, and this is always a great thought. You've got to cultivate the attitude of gratitude. You know, for one who was healed, it's amazing how he didn't know the person who healed him. Did you ever think about that? He didn't know who the person's healed him. Jesus had literally been in Jerusalem two chapters before this. And in John chapter 2, verse 30, 23, it says many people were healed and came to know Jesus because of the miracles he performed. It was incredible. Two chapters earlier. Well, where was this man? I don't know. But the reality is, I think if he'd had some interest, he would have known who Jesus was. But it's amazing how much ingratitude he seems to have. He didn't even know. Because when the Pharisees asked him, who healed you? He says, oh, I don't know. Wouldn't you think if you got healed this morning, you'd kind of find out who the guy was or the person was that was involved in your healing? Wouldn't you think you'd do that? And you'd kind of say, well, thank you. But this man doesn't do that. And, you know, do you remember the story that Jesus healed 10 lepers and, and then they went and presented them to the t themselves in the temple? But on the way, because that was a Jewish culture, present yourself to the priest to make sure that you are totally healed. And, if you, and they'll rubber stamp you and say that now you can enter into temple worship as a Jewish person, which is, as I said, culturally so important to Jews. And these ten lepers on the way to see the priest, one of them thought, just wait a second, I need to return and say thank you to this Jesus who healed me. He comes back to Jesus and he says thank you. And Jesus is amazed at the, at the human tendency of ingratitude because he says, where are the other nine didn't they want to return and say thank you? And he says, well, I don't know about them, but I thought I would. And Jesus then prays for him and gives him incredible blessing or something extra because he returned and said thank you to Jesus. He chased Jesus down to say thank you. Let's be that one as well. Just to say thank you. You know, you can wake up in the morning and you can say it's raining. <sighs> what a miserable day it is. Or you can wake up and say, man, it's raining. It's going to be, you know... Things are going to be fresh and it's going to, you know, lawns are going to grow. Things are going to be great. You know, we can, we can wake up in the morning and say, oh, it's Monday. Or you can wake up and say, what a great opportunity. You know, it's just a different, how do you live life? With gratitude, I tell you what, it sets a bar in your life that allows God to continue to function and work in your heart. I'm not talking about being ridiculous and not facing the realities of the things that go wrong. I'm not talking about you know, not facing the, the problems you do face. We do face problems. We do have to deal with them, sometimes on a daily basis. But, you know, what's the use of allowing stuff to get over the top of us? You know, there was an interesting research article published some time ago, not so recently, some years ago, and it was um, um, from the Harvard Medical University, and they published in their, their journal by a man called Robert Amons and, and uh, Michael McCulloch. 
And what they did was they took three groups of people, 50 people in each group. And the first group of 50, they said to them, every week, we, at the end of the week, for 10 weeks, we want you to write down all the things that you're thankful for at the end of each week. Do that for 10 weeks. That was the first group. The second group, they said, we want you to write down at the end of each week for 10 weeks. We want you to write down all the things that you're upset about and the things that were not good about your week. Write them down. The third group, they just said, we want you just to write about anything that happened. Good or bad, doesn't matter. Just write about something that happened in your week. We'll have the musos come up. And, uh, and so they conducted this for 10 weeks. And, and it's interesting because out of all the information that they received from this little research project, they found out this. The first group that were, were more optimistic and felt better about their lives than any of the other groups, those people also exercised more and went to the doctor less during those 10 weeks simply because they decided to focus on all the things of the week that they were thankful about. I reckon that's pretty powerful, don't you? I think within the very nature of God, there's a, there's, a, there's a principle of thankfulness that he wants to be within us. I think in the very nature of God, there's a very, the Holy Spirit wants to impart a gift of thankfulness in our hearts about life. I, I think God wants to impart a lot of things. He wants to give us a better state of mind. He, I think he wants us to see that there's no silver bullets in life. And the, 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 you know, the, the things that you even think are just, oh, wow, it just all of a sudden happened, aren't really just all of a sudden, but it's been a process of you sowing a lot of seed, and it's because you've just been persistent. The truth is, if you were to think, well, what will my marriage look like in five years? If my marriage in five years depended on the seeds I'm sowing today, or my relationships, what would they look like in five years, depended on the seeds I'm sowing today, what would they look like? What will they look like? It'll all depend on what you're sowing today, what you're doing today. And I think Jesus is saying, come on, what are you sowing today? What are you going to be persistent in today? Good things. I think Jesus is saying to us this morning that we have to get rid of the excuse-riddled life, that we need to get rid of the defenses in life and always being defensive about what people think and complaining about others while having no gratitude at all. I think God says, come on, there's just got to be a change of thinking. And you know what? You can have a, even a physical healing, but I want to tell you this morning, unless we have a change within our thought processes sometimes that physical healing doesn't even do us as good as we thought it would because we've got to change what happens up here I don't want to spin my wheels I want to move forward and walk what about you today can we stand this morning